Welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia.
Good morning. Welcome to worship at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church on this Trinity Sunday. A special welcome to any visitors who are here with us today. We are different because you are here, and for that we give God thanks and praise. My name is Derek Star Redwine. I'm the interim pastor here at the church. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to take a moment and fill out the connection card if you'd like to speak with a member of the staff or let us know what's going on in your lives. This is a way for us to stay connected with each other during the week. I want to begin our time today by reminding us of the updated protocols. Session changed the COVID protocols last week. All vaccinated individuals are now permitted to worship in the sanctuary without a mask. But out of respect for those who are not yet able to be vaccinated, especially our youngest children, we are asking folks to sing at the same volume they would speak, to continue to practice social distancing while in the building, and to take fellowship outside on the front steps. This is the one protocol we've been struggling with as a church. We're so eager to be in relationship with each other today. So after worship, we encourage you to head outside. It's not going to be raining. I talked to God. We're good. It'll be cold, but it'll keep you energized as you have conversations. Um, in the coming months, the deacons are working on having fellowship hour outside on the patio when possible. So please, immediately after church, make your way outside to fellowship with one another. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month, which means we celebrate communion. We'll be collecting non-perishable food items for Feed More. I encourage you to bring some with you to church next week. And finally, your staff and leadership are hoping to resume childcare on Sunday mornings beginning in the month of June but we are in need of paid nursery workers and some on-call nursery volunteers. If you are interested in volunteering in our nursery or know someone who would make a great paid nursery worker, please contact the church office. Thank you. And now, let us continue our worship with the word of prayer. Let us pray. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, we ask for your presence to enter this space today. Father and Creator, Son and Redeemer, Spirit and Advocate, we call upon you to teach us in this hour. Teach us to pray, to love, and to be one as you are one. In this hour, equip us to be your disciples in the world. In your holy names we pray. Amen. I now invite you to stand as you are able and join me in the call to worship you'll find printed in your worship bulletin. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Earth is full. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Cry out with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship our Lord together with gladness. Once again, welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 98th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant. Today's date is May 30th, 2021, and today's broadcast is number 4,992. This morning's sermon, entitled Go and Make Disciples, will be delivered by the Reverend Dr. Nelson Reevely, pastor for discipleship. 
Assisting in the service today are Christopher Martin, Director of Music and Organist, the Reverend Derek Starr Redwine, who's the liturgist, and tenor soloist William Dameron. Our opening hymn is Come Thou Almighty King, which is printed in the bulletin. The text can be found in the hymn book number 139. Brothers and sisters, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all stray from being the people God made us to be in small ways and in stubborn habits as individuals and together as communities and nations. So one of the first things we do as we come to worship our Lord is confess our sins, knowing that God's mercy is open to us through Christ Jesus and trusting that in confession God reforms our hearts and our hands to bear fruits of the Spirit. Please join now in the prayer of confession as printed in our bulletin. God of grace, love, and righteousness, we confess that we fail to love you with all our heart, soul, and might, and as a result, we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. Ignoring your commandments, we stray from your life-giving ways. Lord, graciously reform us in your mercy. Draw us evermore into your will in your ways of grace and love and righteousness. Amen. Those who are in Christ are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. 
All this is from God, with whom we have been reconciled through Christ. We are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, open our minds and our hearts to hear your word to us this day. By the power of your Holy Spirit, challenge us and comfort us with your word that we might grow in faith and in love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today's first reading is from the Psalter. Psalm 8, a psalm attributed to King David. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Amen. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the end of the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Listen again to God's word for us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word, with the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true to your word, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our passage in the New Testament this morning comes again from the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Now last Sunday we were celebrating Pentecost, and today's passage takes us back a bit before that, but still after Christ's resurrection. Jesus had told the disciples to meet him on top of a particular mountain back in Galilee, where his ministry and their journey with Jesus had begun. We don't know exactly which mountaintop this was, but it was likely akin to the one Jesus was on when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, the most comprehensive take on what the love of God and neighbor entails. It was likely akin to the mountaintop as well, on which Christ conquered the temptation to bow down and worship the devil in exchange, at least according to the devil's offer, for dominion over the kingdoms of the world. It was likely like the mountaintop on which Jesus went and was transfigured before the eyes of Peter and James and John to stand blazing and dazzling like the sun with Moses and Elijah standing beside him. Mountains, of course, have a special place in Scripture. Christ was constantly going up mountains to pray and to teach. And Moses, of course, conversed intimately with God and received the Torah on a mountain. And Elijah experienced the presence of God passing by on that same mountain, not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in that famous, still, small voice of God. And it's perhaps not surprising that mountains are such important places in Scripture and in our relationship with God, given the ways that mountains simultaneously provide seclusion to think, to pray, to talk with God, while also affording a clear vantage point to witness the immense majesty and glorious power of creation, and by extension, its creator. Mountains are places of prayerful thought, penetrating insight, paired with awesome wonder and overpowering beauty. So it was on a mountain in Galilee that Jesus sent his disciples to go to meet him again. 
And I think there are three things that are really important for us to delve into this morning from this encounter with Christ on the mountain. First, there's the interplay of worship and doubt among the disciples. Second, there is the command from Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. And third, there's Jesus' affirmation that he is with us every day to the end of the age. So first, worship and doubt. When the disciples see Jesus, having returned to Galilee and trekked up that appointed mountain, they worshipped, but some doubted. This was, of course, not the first time that the disciples had seen Jesus. It had been at least the four to five days needed to get from Jerusalem to Galilee and up that mountain, if not a little longer. And seeing Jesus again raised from the dead was undoubtedly a powerful moment. We can only imagine maybe as powerful as it had been seeing him for the first time. And so when they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. It's helpful at this point to ask what worship is precisely. At root, worship is a recognition, an affirmation, whether in word, in thought, in deed, in feeling, that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. When Thomas saw the risen Christ and became the first person in human history to proclaim, my Lord and my God, that was worship. A visceral, can't-help-but-worship kind of worship. I've always found the old description of worship in our PCUSA Book of Order particularly poignant and powerful. I realize it's been changed recently, but this old version always grabs me, and it reads as follows, quote, Christian worship joyfully ascribes all praise and honor, glory and power to the triune God. In worship, the people of God acknowledge God present in the world and in their lives. As they respond to God's claim and redemptive action in Jesus Christ, believers are transformed and renewed. In worship, the faithful offer themselves to God and are equipped for God's service in the world. End quote. Worship is about an attentiveness to both the truth of Jesus Christ, God, our creator and our redeemer, And it's about the saving, transformative power of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection for the world and for each of us. And worship is something we gather to do formally, together, once a week, as we are here, right this red-hot second, on the first day of the week. But the practices of worship are fundamentally about that responsive attentiveness to God and to God's ways for the world and our lives. That responsive attentiveness is something that we can infuse in anything that we do at any time, in any place. It is an ongoing awareness and recognition that the world, fallen as it is, is fundamentally, literally aglow with glimpses of God's goodness, its creator, aglow with God's presence. As we heard in the words of the anthem that was just sung, Look at the world, everything all around us. Look at the world, marvel every day. Look at the world, so many joys and wonders, so many miracles along our way. Praise to thee, our Lord, for all of creation. Give us thankful hearts that we may see. That's what worship's about. There's a similarly helpful passage from pastor and theologian Howard Thurman in his one of his meditations called Magic All Around Us, in which he writes, 
Quote, it's easy for me to take things for granted and to deal with them without sensitiveness. But when have you noticed the color of the sky? When have you looked at the shape and place of a tree? What about the light in the eyes of your friend when he smiles? The moving insights and power of the word of a hymn, the music of which you enjoy, the renewal of mind and body after a night's restful sleep. Those times when deep within your heart you whisper a thank you to God. When the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him. They gave that thank you to God. But some doubted. The really wild thing about that verse in the Greek is that the word that's translated in English as but can be and is at times also translated as and or also. So you could translate that verse, they worshipped but some doubted. Or they worshipped, and also some doubted. That word doubted has connotations of wavering, of literally having and being drawn between two different stances, two positions. It's what Jesus, or it's what Peter did when he attempted to walk on water and then began to sink. And Jesus saved him and then said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you waver? The disciples saw Jesus, and they worshipped, but some doubted. The disciples saw Jesus, and also some doubted. Is this really Jesus raised from the dead? Is he really here? Is he really God, the creator of the universe, and human flesh here not to condemn us, but to rescue us from sin and from death? They worshipped, and also some doubted. Can worship and doubt go together? Well, it seems, if nothing else, we can say, at least in this instance, they did for some of the disciples. And I think this is where it can be helpful to remember that even the first disciples were constantly referred to by Jesus as ye of little faith. Even the first disciples wrestled with faith that was apparently smaller than the proverbial mustard seed. So it seems, mercifully, worship and doubt, they're not opposites, they're not mutually exclusive, In fact, I go so far as to say it seems that faith and all that flows from it is nurtured most especially in and through times of worship. Worship is something that cultivates our faith. Our faith is cultivated in the ways that God is at work in our hearts when we're paying attention to God and seeking God in prayer and in song and reading scripture. It seems that faith is not nurtured or even fundamentally about gritting one's teeth and trying to will oneself to think something's true, but rather in and through those practices, whether in devotional times alone or especially right here together in worship, in which we're joining together as a community and mutually encouraging one another, supporting one another, singing and praying alongside one another, growing in the faith together. And admittedly, faith is not something any of us is particularly good at. I'd go so far as to say we're all, at best, toddlers in Christ. But mercifully, while faith is absolutely critical, it's not the strength of our faith, nor the banishment of all doubt that saves us, but Christ Jesus and his work and his life and his death and his resurrection. And we're drawn into that faith 
through the power of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and through the practices of coming to know God ever more closely in these times of worship together. And in that vein, faith is not something that we learn on our own, but something that we learn and do together in community. Our trusting relationship with God is not fundamentally a me and Jesus type of thing. It's at heart and is and always will be a we and Jesus type of thing. Our faith is something that we grow in together in concert with one another and with our creator. The disciples saw Jesus and they worshipped, but some doubted. The disciples saw Jesus, Jesus and they worshipped, and also some doubted, and they worshipped. Praise God. The second important part from this passage for us to delve into this morning that flows out of the worship of God is often referred to as the Great Commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them God's commands as revealed in and through Jesus Christ. It's helpful to note that this image of discipleship, it is a different metaphor to help us understand our place as followers of Christ than, for instance, the one we explored a few weeks back of God as our shepherd and we as the sheep, especially the lost sheep. But I think if you will pardon the pun and the mixing of metaphors, those two metaphors of discipleship, of us as disciples and of us as sheep, they can be brought together uh, in the fact that we are disciple sheep. I worked on that one really hard. <laughs> uh, and like the sheep, uh, we are defenseless, helpless before sin and death. Like the sheep, we need our shepherd Christ to carry us back to the fold But once reunited, once brought back into the fold, we are intended to learn new tricks, or rather the ancient trick of learning and growing in the love of God with all our heart, soul, and might, and learning and growing in the love of our neighbors as ourselves. While the metaphor of sheep and being sheep highlights our helplessness and our dependence on God, the metaphor of discipleship highlights the reality that we are also pupils, learners, students. We have a discipline, a training in love for which we were created and to which we are being restored through Jesus. So what is making disciples and also submitting oneself to the discipline of Christ entail? <clears throat> Jesus is quite explicit. It begins largely in baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is to say it begins with a recognition of our sin in that, in that the world is not as it's supposed to be right now. It begins with a recognition of the ways that we ignore God and idolize possessions and prestige and power and pleasure. The way we take good things of creation and hoard them over and against one another. The way we either indulge in excess like the prodigal younger brother or indulge in self-righteousness like the older brother. But that recognition of sin is the forerunner to realizing that God runs and ran towards us like the father with open arms to each of his sons to offer forgiveness, to open wide the door back home. Discipleship in Christ begins in baptism, and baptism is the embrace of God. 
It is the testimony to the proof of God's amazing love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So making disciples and being grown as a disciple begins in realizing that the world is not as it should be, that we are not as we should be, that we were made to be and to do more than sin, and that God has come incarnate as Christ to right the wrong of sin. Making disciples and being a disciple also entails, of course, teaching obedience to, all, obedience to all that Jesus commanded, which Christ summed up succinctly in noting the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and that the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. As Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. So loving God with all our heart and soul and might is about loving a God who is our creator, who personally, intentionally, purposely formed each one of us as part of this good creation. A creation that even in its fallen state bears the joys and finite reflections of God's infinite goodness and things like friendship and family and things like constructive and purposeful work and regenerative rest and things like the beauty of the earth and of life and life on it as well as the majesty of the universe. But that is, of course, uh, but the love of God, of course, is not only love of God as our creator, but also love of God as our redeemer. It is love for the God who purposefully, intentionally, personally came incarnate, son of the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to self-sacrificially take on the sins of the world, to give divine life as ransom for many, for us. It's out of this love for God, our creator and redeemer, that, of course, also flows our love for our neighbors as ourselves. Those two things are not in competition, but rather the root of loving God bears the fruit of loving our neighbors. And while one can see a rich inventory of what loving one's neighbor as oneself entails in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, I think it's worth highlighting two ways in which we are prayerfully grown and in which we can prayerfully help others be grown in the love of God and love of neighbor uh, this morning. Uh, that first, one of the first ways is humility. Humility is in large part about recognizing again one's sins, the ways one falls short of the glory of God. It's also about recognizing the ways in which one harms others. It's about repenting of sin, seeking forgiveness, and seeking reformation and being molded into the love of God and neighbor. Humility is also about recognizing the inherent God-given value and worth of every single person, an inherent value that exists no matter how we might divvy each other up by the world's standards, whether of beauty or pedigree or prestige or power. Humility entails recognizing that everyone, regardless of who they are or what they've done, is made uniquely, intentionally in the image of God So in that vein, humility entails refraining from judging others harshly, from assuming the worst of others' intentions, intelligence, or capacities, and lashing out based on those assumptions, whether to folks' face or behind their back or even just resenting them in your heart. Humility is about caring for others and recognizing their God-given worth. A second aspect of loving our neighbors as ourselves is compassion. 
It's about care, about the suffering, and about the well-being of others, in body as well as in spirit. And this is a compassion that leads us to share generously of the God-given time, talents, and treasures that we may have. And the hope and with the aim that nobody should lack the things needed to flourish, to develop their own God-given gifts and graces in concert with one another. Loving one's neighbor as oneself entails a compassion uh, that extends as well, of course, to folks' spirits and their their relationship with God and with others as well. Spiritual suffering, the suffering that comes from estrangement from our creator and from one another, is something that is directly addressed in being grown in that love of God and being grown in that love of neighbor and helping others do so as well so that they can bear forth fruits of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. When we think about making disciples, when we think about being disciples, especially in today's world, especially in 21st century America and Richmond, Virginia, especially in a world today where so many have been scarred by the church and so many more are simply wary of the church. It's important to know and to realize that making disciples and being discipled in Christ means that the good news of Christ Jesus, while it clearly needs to be on our lips, must first and foremost be on our heart and in our hands must be in the ways that we work, in the ways that we care, in the ways that we treat our family and our neighbors, in the ways that we interact with our colleagues and with strangers. If the light of God is not shining in our good works, born out of the baptismal forgiveness we have in Christ, if that light is not shining in our actions, the words on our lips strike hollow, even hypocritical, like a teacher who doesn't even grasp the meaning and the implications of the lesson that he's trying to teach. In his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, theologian Cornelius Plantinga Jr. helpfully lays out what a person flourishing in the love of God and neighbor, a person who can help disciple others and is living into the discipleship of Christ, what that person looks like. He writes as follows, quote, This person longs for God and the beauty of God, for Christ and Christ-likeness, for the dynamite of the Holy Spirit and spiritual Uh, maturity. She longs for other human beings. She wants to love them and to be loved by them. She hungers for social justice. She longs for nature, for its beauties and grace, for the sheer particularity of the way a squirrel of a squirrel with a nut. As we might expect, her longings dim from season to season, and when they do, she longs to long again. She's a person of character consistency, a person who rings true wherever you tap her. She keeps promises. She weeps with those who weep, and perhaps more impressively, she rejoices with those who rejoice. Her motives include faith, a quiet confidence in God, and in the mercies of God that radiate from the self-giving work of Jesus Christ. She knows God is good. She also feels assured that God is good to her. Her faith secures her against the ceaseless oscillations of pride and despair, familiar to every human being. And when her faith slips... She retains faith enough to believe that the Spirit of God, whose presence is her renewable resource, will one day secure her faith again.
The last point from our passage that I think is particularly important for us to highlight this morning and to highlight in closing is Christ's last words, that I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the promise that the day of resurrection, the comprehensive righting of all wrongs, the wiping away of every tear, the final judgment of all sin that cuts against the goodness of creation, the end of the age, the return of Christ in the flesh. This is that promise that Christ alludes to when he says, I am with you to the end of the age. It speaks to a return of Christ that could happen tomorrow or could happen in 10,000 years. But the importance of this verse is twofold. First, it's the affirmation of Christ's continuing presence with us, a presence that we don't always pay attention to, but one that is immensely palpable in times of prayer and in times of conversation of God. Immensely palpable as well in those times when one feels or sees the love of God and the love of neighbor in action in moments of humility, in moments of compassion, in moments as well of self-sacrifice, such as the sacrifice of those who've borne the uniform of our country, who've given their lives, put themselves in harm's way, such that we might be kept out of harm's way. That presence of God, presence of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, while it can be hard to pin down with precision, It is surely something that you know when you feel it. It can be felt sometimes in instances where you have a peace, a calm, a clarity, most especially when you've been facing things that have been bringing you anxiety. It's a presence of God that you can feel in instances when you have suddenly a courage, a purpose, and an invigoration to act with an acuity, a capacity, a poise that you did not think you possessed. It's a presence of God that you can feel when you have a hope, a trust, that spills into a conviction and an overwhelming awareness that this world was created in love, by love, and for love. A love that, as 1 John notes, was made most manifest in the ways that our Creator came incarnate to bear the infinite consequences, the horrible wages, the internally bitter fruits of sin, and to open up the way to reconciled relationship with the divine and with one another. This presence of God that is with us always, every day, to the end of the age. This is a presence of God that creates in each of us a clean heart to do God's work in the world, to worship even if and when we doubt, to go and make disciples and to be grown as disciples, sharing the gospel of God's good news, of God's kingdom come near in Christ, of God's forgiving embrace in baptism, and of the life-giving love of God and neighbor for which we were each made and to which we are each being brought back by Jesus. Jesus called the disciples back to the mountaintop to give them that great commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations and to remember that Christ is with us always to the end of the age. Praise God, brothers and sisters. And to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And let us now all stand and join together in singing 
Today we are called to be disciples. You are listening to the live broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled, Go and Make Disciples, which was delivered by the Reverend Dr. Nelson Reevely. Our second hymn, Today We Are All Called to Be Disciples, is number 434 in the Presbyterian Hymnal. Please remain stand me and join me in the affirmation of faith you'll find printed in the bulletin. Christians, what do we believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. As we prepare to offer our prayers to God this day, tomorrow as citizens of this great nation, we honor all who have died while serving in our nation's military. As you all know, tomorrow is a day of remembrance. But for Christians, it's also a day we are called to recommit, to recommit to the work of peacemaking, to ensure that no more families have to suffer the loss of a loved one in service to their nation. So tomorrow I ask that you would please hold in prayer both the families and friends of those who grieve the loss of a loved one, whether recent or long past. Pray for them and their families, but also pray for the church universal as we seek to do our part to turn swords into plowshares that this world would come to look more like the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Out of our ordinary everyday lives, O oh God, you have gathered us here to this time of worship. Gathered together, we have come to be blessed by you, to listen for your word, and to immerse ourselves in your love. This day and every day, O oh Lord, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your presence with us. Take the chaos of the world that has found its way into our hearts and calm it, O oh God, with your word. Take the failures and defeats, the guilt and the shame that bind our spirits and cloud our vision and set us free, set us free with your grace. Taking our longings for your goodness to shape our lives, this world, this nation, and infuse us with your courage and your hope and your love. And then, O oh God, equipped to serve, awaken us to your Holy Spirit, who is with us now, making all things new. And as we arise from our slumber to serve you and others with renewed passion and focus, on this weekend of remembrance, help us to remember all who have served and died in sake of something greater than themselves. Help us to remember all the families who grieve this and every day for brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, daughters and sons, friends and spouses. And as your spirit moves among us, O oh God, inspire us to be your disciples by helping us remember that peace doesn't happen without peacemakers and that violence will not cease until we stand in the breach and do our part to repair it. God, as we seek to be your faithful people, remind us that we are called to seek reconciliation, to seek peace with all people, knowing we can't control the ways of the world, but we can work for your kingdom to come in our own lives and in our own communities. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. 
the one who sends us out to speak love and mercy and grace to all who are waiting and hoping and longing for a sign that they are not alone and that this world is on its way to becoming more and more like the kingdom of God. Lord, in your great and abiding mercy, hear this prayer, the silent prayers on our hearts today and the prayer Jesus taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning and welcome again to worship at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church on this first Sunday of our summer schedule. Moving forward, worship will start at 10 a.m. and Sunday school at 9 a.m. It is good to be worshiping with you again this day. This is the part of service when we give back a portion that God has given to us so generously. We are called to make a tithe or an offering. Many of you give online. Thank you for that. We still have plates in the rear of the sanctuary for you to drop off your gifts this morning. But don't forget your prayers, your acts of service, your compassion and kindness are also ways you show and respond to God's love in the world. So thank you for all the ways you give.
us pray. Gracious God, thank you for all your many blessings that remind us of your love. Receive the gifts we offer this day and may they further your kingdom of love, justice, and peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sisters and brothers, a reminder before the benediction to not tarry in the sanctuary after the postlude, but to head onto the terrace where we can fellowship together. And now as we go forth 
to love and serve the Lord our God and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. reminder to all listeners, the Red Cross Blood Drive will take place this Saturday, June the 5th, at the church in the Fellowship Hall from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. For the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Please join us again next Sunday through your radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. Your announcer today has been Rusty Stadler, and the engineer was Steve Kemp. This service streams live and can be accessed through the Grace Covenant website, which is grace-covenant.org. 
We now return you to the Truth Network on WLES 590 AM and 97.7 FM. Thank you for listening.